Well, good morning. How's everybody? You're warm? You are? Okay, good. That's good to know that they're all warm. Hey, last week we started some interviews uh, in this Imagine series. We wanted to take a look back and just see some things that God did and then, then look a little bit forward. So I've invited my friends Pete and Sarah Ziliox this morning to speak to you. Why don't you welcome them to our stage, would you? <clears throat> Pete, why don't you share a little bit about how you came here and how long it's been? Oh. Uh, when we first came here 23 years ago this month, the church was a whopping three months old. We didn't have a church building. We were meeting in a conference room at the old Best Western that's now where Houlihan's is by uh, 50. And uh, the uh, DUI class was next door. So oh, you can right? either go in for the DUI hey. training class or the... That, that's or, not or, how we found out about the church. <laughs> Well, you do know that David, our worship pastor, was five at the time, right? Does that make you feel better? No, it makes me feel old. <laughs> um, well, hey, Sarah, why don't you share, how did you, how did you find out Abundant Life um, and share that story yeah, with us? Uh, some of you may know, but I was actually working with a gentleman named Rick Friesen. He and I actually shared a cube at work, and he said, hey, there's this new church that started out in Lee Summit. Why don't you come? And uh, I didn't want to go alone, and I didn't have an evangelistic bone in my body at that point in time, so I said, come with me. <laughs> and so we, we went to visit. Yeah, we were not married at the time. We were just friends. And right. And that first Sunday, you came down, right? Yeah, I went forward, and I actually got saved a couple weeks later, but that, I was one of the first people saved in this I was going to say, you may have been the very first person, potentially, right? Well, we don't know that for sure, but... Yeah. <laughs> so last week we talked a little bit about Pastor Phil coming and taking over the realms about 17, 18 years ago. Could you give us your thoughts a little bit on that transition? Maybe, Sarah, you could share a little bit of that, would you? I, I can comment. We were, we were a newly married couple, and um, given that our church uh, was kind of going through a really tumultuous time, both the staff members that we had had actually stepped down. And uh, we had a Sunday that Phil stepped up to just fill in the gap. And um, we were truly debating at that point in time as people were literally leaving the church because of some of the turmoil and the strife, we were debating, should we stay yeah. or should we not stay? So you weren't <laughs> sure, Pete, that you were, this was the church for you, is that right? No. <laughs> well, we, every time we went to the Lord and said, do we, is your hand on this? Do we, are we making a mistake? We didn't get any answers except you stay. Wow. That was the only answer we got, and we got it consistently, consistently and, that, and that's why we always stayed. And you made a comment to me backstage a little bit about some of the, the faithfulness of some of the people that were serving and leading as well at that time. Can you share a little bit of, about that? Uh, yeah, there, there were all of the people that were on the finance committee and on the board uh, were people that we trusted. Yeah. And... It was, it was nice to know, hey, if, if these people who I, I know their maturity, I know their Christian wisdom, if, if they're okay with what's going on, I'm going to trust them. But that's not why we stayed. We stayed because God told us to stay. That was just a luxury that he provided to us yeah. to, as reassurance. But staying was all between us and God. So in the middle of all of the, the transition, there's some distractions that happen, right? Can you share with us some of the distractions that maybe pull you away from the vision or the, the mission of what we were trying to do as a church early on? Uh, we, we, had a, we had just purchased the little building that Phil had shown on the screen last week, 
And I'm a mathematician, so I start doing the math of, okay, I look at the people here in the church body, I look at the debt that we have, and this cop is telling us we're gonna get this debt paid off quickly. <laughs> uh, am I gonna cop. start doing this? Yeah. <laughs> uh, um, excuse me, if Chris is here, sergeant, actually, he had just oh. made sergeant, and that, okay. was, that was a big deal, so I don't wanna miss that <laughs> <That's> either. <right. laughs> what was God doing in the midst of all of that with your faith? Pete, could you share a little bit about that from your perspective? It, endurance is valuable to God. Consistency is a, valuable, is a valuable trait to God. You don't have to do super spectacular things. This church is not here, this building, because, you know, there was, we got around and prayed and all of a sudden there was a lightning bolt and a church was here. It's every single Step of the way, you just consistently keep doing the ordinary things, and then you turn around and you've, you've, you've seen God do something extraordinary. Yeah. And looking back, Sarah, just the faithfulness that God instilled in you, your heart as you watched all of this, what did yeah, it do for it, your walk with Christ? It, it truly, I, I look at Phil as kind of a, a Gideon. He said, we can take this hill. Mm. And if, if we can explain it away, then God didn't do it. And that's been part of his mantra for, for years. Yeah. And to see now, to look back and see Blake and Megan taken off, to see Jessica and Jernigan taken off, to know Jeff and Paula Rhodes took off from here as missionaries. Um, so many people, and I, I couldn't remember all, couldn't, I don't want to miss anybody, but I also can't state everybody's name. But just to see what God has done over the years, yeah. the people he has sent out, the impact we've had on the world. When I look back and think about when we sat there going, how are we going to pay off these thousands of dollars for this little building? And I look at this now, yeah. It floors me, yeah. just floors me. It's, it is amazing, just the faithful journey that God has had you guys on as well as this church. And thank you for being part of the start of this and the fabric of this and of being faithful over the 17 years and really following what God called you to do to stay. We're super grateful for you. You want to say one more thing? Yeah, I, I want to say I'm very privileged and, and thankful that I've had a church home that has been so eager to minister and has been such a place of integrity that I've never had to worry about the church I go to. Yeah. So that's been a blessing for us. So, so I'm gonna say thank you to everybody here. Yeah. Praise God. Praise God. Hey. Can I make one more yeah. I, I'll, I'll just be quick. The, the couple of things that Phil put in place that is still there today is accountability with other pastors in the area and to put a discipleship program in place yeah. just almost day one. And getting those foundations laid causes all of God's growth. Yeah. Well, would you, uh, do you thank them for coming and sharing a little bit of their story? We're so grateful for you. Thank you for coming and sharing today, guys. start somewhere you see we all start our faith here and in those early days that's what we were we were just a church giving the best we had what little we had sometimes we were off-key 
and we had a course correction. But you see, you all begin here. We all do spiritually. But never ever see merely what is, see what could be. And all that is today, we saw 17 years ago because we saw more than what is. We wanted to see what God could see. And Caleb, my friend, is over there because he's gonna show you what it can be if you just give God the rudimentary. Go ahead, Caleb, show what you got. I can do that. I can't do this. Not yet. Wow. Wow. You see, you don't get to that till you give God this. Question is, are you giving God this? Now see, most people only see this, and this is where they stay. They get stuck halfway. I want you to begin to imagine with me, as we did 18 years ago, what could be. Hey, Caleb, play for him. Play how great thou art, would you? Watch this. God is just as glorified with this if this is what you got to give. But you see, we all have more to give. God wants to grow us from this to be able to do this. Go ahead, Caleb, just break loose on it, would you? You inspire me, buddy. You see, in those early days, we were just that church plunking away, plinking away on the little keys we had, but God sees what you have, and he says, let me show you what will be. And I want you to begin to imagine, not just corporately for our church family, because we're not done playing in a way that we pray will give God greater glory. I want you to begin to apply this thought to your life personally, your families. We imagine and get a vision for a new destination. Now, if you haven't got one of these Imagine campaign brochures, be sure you get one on the way out because it'll tell you what we're imagining God for over the next two years. And we're halfway through, just midway through this two-year campaign. We're imagining God to begin two brand new churches in our city, to build a brand new food pantry right behind this building, to further serve our city for years and years to come. We're imagining God to pay off five million dollars of debt so that we eventually can be debt-free again and give more away to reach our city in that spirit of generosity. Genesis chapter 12, as we're together on this faith journey. Now, I want you to begin to imagine, because what we've said is that imagination can become God's vision 
that can bring you to a new destination, God's destination, but only if you put your faith in action, which is obedience in motion. And that's what we saw in Genesis 12 last time as Abram is called out of the Ur of the Chaldees. And we said last time that Abram's physical journey is a picture of our faith journey. And there's so much we can learn along the way about how God wants to take you out of the Ur of the Chaldees in that place of sin and idolatry, mediocrity, captivity, and lead you on a journey then to a land that flows with milk and honey, the promised land spiritually. And what we saw last time is that Abram calls us from the place of darkness and idolatry, then leads us on that journey, you see, to the promised land spiritually. Now remember what we've learned last week. Abram, most of you know, but some of you don't, was a man that God would eventually call Abraham. Abram means exalted father. Abraham, though, means father of a multitude or father of nations because God promised Abram that I'm gonna make you the father of a great nation and out of you will all nations of the earth be blessed. And in Genesis 12, God is actually separating out a man that will begin a brand new nation through which God's promise of a savior king would one day emerge. And we know that man, Abram, would father the modern day nation of Israel and from the Jews we would have Jesus and because you see Jesus said the salvation is of the Jews the implication is that because God gave us Jesus through the Jews but not merely for the Jews that all nations of the earth would be blessed through the Jewish Messiah the Jewish Savior now here's the reality. Though we are not the physical seed of Abraham, we can't claim these physical promises that God gave him. We are the spiritual seed of Abraham. In other words, there are spiritual promises that God makes us. Now don't misunderstand, this isn't replacement theology. God has not said the church is now the spiritual Israel, and that's what a lot of people believe, as though God has done with the Jews, and this Abrahamic covenant God made is no longer in effect. Understand, Genesis 17, God said this is an everlasting covenant. And though we don't have a literal piece of real estate in the Middle East that God promised us called the promised land as followers of Jesus Christ, the Jewish Messiah, and recipients of the blessing of Abraham, though we don't have a physical promised land, God still has given us a promised land spiritually. Jesus said, I've come to give you life abundantly. You see, while the Jews have a literal place that is their real estate, we too have a spiritual place, and it is our real estate. And this is how the Apostle Paul would put it in Galatians 3.14, that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles, that's non-Jews, me and you, in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. You see, ultimately, he wants us as the spiritual seed of Abraham and all those that believe in the Jewish Messiah, Jesus, and we put our faith in him in some way. It says we are the sons of Abraham. You see, you and I have a promised land spiritually, and and that's what God wants to do when he calls you out of your Ur of the Chaldees, that place of sin and idolatry. Now he wants to lead you on a faith journey in some capacity to that promised land spiritually. I want you to understand, God has destined things for your life personally. We all have a destiny that God has ordained for our lives personally, even from eternity. I want you to think in these terms, that God has literally written your story before you were even born. God has preordained 
same things that you would do on earth that's already been written in heaven. Now understand, this isn't this hyper-predestination theology sometimes where people say, we're just puppets on a string and God is a puppeteer. We really have no free will of our own, no choice really, for God's already predetermined everything we're going to do. That's not what God is teaching at all. But what God is teaching is there are things God has predetermined for you to do on earth that God has written about you in heaven. Now, you still have a choice. Just like Abram was destined to be the father of a great nation, but he had to say yes to God and put his faith in action. He had to step out of the earth of the Chaldees. Is he ever going to see that destiny become a reality? That's true, you see, of you and me. Look at what it says in Ephesians 2.10. For we are his workmanship. And that word in the Hebrew means masterpiece. In the same way that God wants to make you a masterpiece, you are his workmanship, his masterpiece. Why? Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Do you understand that God has already prepared a destiny for you that can become your reality personally in a way that will echo and ring for all of eternity? It says this in Psalm 139, verse 16, your eyes, the psalmist says to God, your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed. And in your book, they all were written the days fashioned for me when as yet there were none of them. The psalmist is saying, God, you saw me even in my mother's womb before I was even formed and didn't even look fully human. You saw me even yet unformed and you wrote my days in a book even before those days were here on the earth. God, you wrote my story ahead of time. Let me ask you, are you willing to let God write your story? See, God has written everybody's story ahead of time. Now, that doesn't mean that you can't make a choice to go along with God and follow God. No, you have the choice not to follow God. You can write your own story ahead. But you see, I decided a long time ago that God could do a better job of writing my story than the one I was written. You see, I just thought a long time ago that if I let God write my story, it's going to be a better story than one I could possibly write. You see, I'd written one story for Phil's life, but God had written another story for Phil's life. Abraham had his own plan for his life, but one day God intercepted Abraham and said, Abraham, I want to write a different story. I have for you a new destiny, and that destiny can become a brand new reality. I'm going to make you a great nation. Understand, he had no choice children. This is why what God said was contrary to what Abram saw. You see, he was married to Sarai, and she was barren, and they had no children, and it didn't make any sense that he could father a great nation when he couldn't even father a child. And he leads him then on this journey of faith to a land, he said, that would flow with milk and honey. He said, now listen, I want you to go that direction. And we saw last time how you have to simply follow God's direction if you'll ever arrive at the destination. God told Abram, go to a land I will show you. And that's how it is in our lives. Listen, we don't get a map with an X marks a spot. We don't get a detailed itinerary. I mean, now we've got GPS, and that's awesome. Uh, I remember before we had GPS, we had Map Blast. You guys remember those days? 
uh, how quickly, I mean, we don't use map blast anymore, but here's the reality. We like map blast because you would print it out ahead of time and it would tell you step by step where to go and where to turn and what to do. Guess what? God doesn't do that for me and you. He simply says, go to a land I will show you and stop when you get there. I will show you when you get there, when you hit the destination. But first you got to say yes to that direction. And that's what Abram does. It says he goes to a land he's never been, to a place he's never seen. And that is also true then of you and me, simply saying yes to God every time he says do this, every time he says do this, going in that direction, and that's how eventually we arrive at that godly destination. Now we saw last time, Abram finally gets to the land of Canaan. He's finally in that destination, but it doesn't look anything like he thought when it would, and sometimes, honestly, it doesn't look anything like we thought it should. Our life doesn't look anything sometimes like we thought it would, and he gets to this promised land that God said, I will show you, and when he gets to the land, watch this. It's a time of famine. Now, we're going to pick it up in Genesis 12 and verse 10. Now, there was a famine in the land, and Abram went down to Egypt to dwell there, for the famine was severe in the land. You know what we're learning here? Here he is, right? in the middle of the destination, but he immediately finds himself in that place of trial and tribulation. You see, you can be right in that place of God's destination and still find yourself in the middle of a famine. He encounters this famine, this trial, tribulation. What that tells me is this. Jesus said, I've come to give you life, and you can have it more abundantly. Now, that is the promised land spiritually. But did you know that promise of life abundantly is not a promise that life will be easy? You see, we need to redefine what we think of as the abundant life because this is not this prosperity theology of modern 21st century Christianity. Come to Jesus, you'll be rich, thin, healthy, and wealthy. Know the reality. You may come to Jesus and lose your job and be in poverty. You see, Jesus is not some rabbit foot redeemer. Jesus is not my little four-leaf clover that's going to make my life better. Here's the reality. You can live life abundantly and still have a life full of adversity, living abundantly. You see, you still at times can have a life of trial, tears, and tragedy. This is what I want you to see, the reality of what God has promised in Jesus. John 16, Jesus said, in this world you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. You see, life abundantly, when you're living in that promised land spiritually, is that even when you suffer, you're learning to be an overcomer because Christ suffered, but Christ overcame. That means if you're in Christ, even when you suffer, you can be an overcomer. And that is what God is now trying to teach Abram in these beginning steps of his journey. If you want to put it in these terms to understand the imagery, Abram is a new Christian. He's just beginning his journey of faith. He's finally said yes to God. He's left the Ur of the Chaldees. He's now in the promised land. He's in that right destination. And he immediately faces this time of famine and tribulation. And that's true of everybody here. We're all going to have a time of famine in our life, a time of tragedy or trial or tribulation. And that's the reality of living abundantly. It is learning that even in the face of adversity, I can still live with joy. I can still live abundantly. Now, I love hanging around new Christians. How about you? 
I do. A church needs new Christians. You need to have some new believers in your life because uh, I love the energy, the enthusiasm of new Christians, don't you? It's like, you know, a new Christian, I love talking to them about their faith journey, taking those first steps because, you know, unlike a lot of, you know, some of us have been Christians a long time and take everything for granted, you know, they don't take anything for granted. Like, you know, I can't believe it. You know, Jesus is so good. And, you know, I went to Walmart this week and the parking lot was absolutely packed. I mean, I couldn't find a parking space and I drove around. I simply prayed, God, would you please open up a parking space? And as soon as I said amen, there was a car pulling out and I just pulled in. It's like, Jesus is awesome. <laughs> I mean, don't you love that? But all of a sudden, you know, some of us, honestly, we've been Christians a long time and, man, we lose that awe of God's grace and mercy and goodness. And Abraham, he's in the, the, those beginning stages and he, he finally makes it to the land and we saw last week and he, he builds this altar and Bethel is before him and Ai is behind him and Bethel means house of God and Ai means ruin. I mean, it's like, God, you are before me and the ruins of my past is behind me and he's celebrating now this ruin is behind him and all of a sudden there's a famine. And what is God doing in our life when he allows trial and tribulation, when he allows those times of famine, listen, he's trying to teach us to walk by faith, not by sight. I mean, it's easy to walk by faith when we don't need faith. I mean, in those early days of our church that Sarah and Pete spoke of, there was nothing that made us think God was in this any longer. Outwardly, what we could see looked like an impossibility. Everything's falling apart. It looks like maybe God has abandoned us. Well, what I'm telling you is what you see is never the reality. What God has said has to become your ultimate reality. Because what you see will often be contrary to what God has said. What I see in my marriage is an impossibility. It can never be what it used to be. What I see in my finances is an impossibility. We face ruin and it's AI and I don't see Bethel before me. All I see is AI in front of me. I mean, financial ruin, you don't understand. I have a prodigal son, prodigal daughter. I mean, they've been far from God for so long. I don't think they're ever coming back. Listen, what you see is not the reality. What God has said is always the reality. I'm gonna tell you, for me, what's kept me going over 18 years of ministry in times in the life of our church, what quite frankly, we were up against what looked like an impossibility and it seemed like the adversity was overwhelming. I have come back to this place again and again, not what I see, but what God has said. And what did Jesus say? That's the ultimate reality. He said that upon this rock himself, he would build his church and the gate of hell shall not prevail. Jesus, you said you would build your church and the gate of hell would not prevail. You see, you see what God has said, it is ultimately the reality, not merely what you see. Because what you see looks like an impossibility, but what Jesus said, as a God, all things are possible. So God's trying to teach Abram in this moment, listen, put your trust in what I have said. Don't leave that place of blessing. But what does he do instead? Well, we, we saw him do. He goes down to Egypt, right? There's famine in the land, God, this doesn't look like I thought that it would. I mean, I thought this was gonna be a land that flowed with milk and honey, and honestly, my family is hungry, and so what does he do? Instead of walking by faith in what God has said, he acts on what he sees, and he flees. And this is what a lot of Christians do. Listen carefully. Satan tempts us, but God tests us. 
He tests our faith to make it stronger. Never forget, there's always two agendas in your life. There's always two plans for your life. Yes, God has one plan, Satan has another. God has one destiny for you, Satan has another destiny for you. You see, God had one plan for Abraham, Satan had another plan for Abraham. You see, Satan tempts, but God tests. And the very thing Satan wants to use to destroy your faith is the very thing that God wants to use to build your faith. And in the same way that fire tests metal, it's the trials and famines of our life that tests our faith to make it stronger. So, you know, years ago when I competed in football, I'd have a coach. And right before they would run us to the point of collapse, I mean run us to the point of exhaustion, run us to the point where we wished we would just go ahead and die. I'm not making this up. It was traumatizing. So this past week, I went back to Lawrence, and uh, we went to Allen Fieldhouse and watched a game, and they wanted to kind of see you know, where I used to stay, and they wanted to see this hill that I've talked about we used to run up. So uh, I drove them around campus and kind of took that walk down memory lane, and I drove them down to the foot of this hill right at the foot of campus and said, this is where it was. This is where I almost died more than once. This is where I wished I would die more than once. I mean, this is the place. And I remember standing at the bottom of that hill right before we would run up over and over and over again, and I heard my coach say, boys, today we are gonna test your metal." I hate that man. <laughs> I just have to admit it to this day. I don't like him. But anyway, so well, that, that term, test your metal, what is it? That's an old metalsmithing term, right? If you want to make metal stronger, a metalsmith does what to the metal? He feeds that metal through the fire. And he puts that metal through the fire over and over again. That's what is testing the metal. And in testing the metal with fire, it makes it stronger. You see, that's what God wants to do with our faith over and over again. That's why he allows these famines in our life. It's easy to give God glory when we're living under the spout where the glory comes out. And I just got this amazing promotion. And yeah, I've just got this new position. And I just went on this awesome vacation. Boy, that's easy to give God glory then. But what God wants to do is bring us to a place where where we can give God glory even when we can't see outwardly what God is doing invisibly. You see, that's when God receives the most glory in our life. He's trying to teach us to walk by faith, not by sight. It's 1 Peter 3 and verse 7. Remember what it says? It says that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it be tried by fire, may be found to praise and honor and glory Jesus Christ at his appearing. In other words, just as gold is tried in the fire, and that fire makes it purer and brighter, so it's the fire of our trials that make our faith purer and stronger and brighter so that we can give God greater glory and greater honor. That's what God's trying to do in Abram's life. Now, he didn't pass this test, not this time. There's gonna be other tests along the way. Instead of walking by faith and not by sight, he flees down to Egypt out of fear. He no longer trusts completely what God has said. He's trusting now in what he sees. And the Bible, check this out, Egypt is a picture of the world. Understand the imagery, what God is teaching. One of the renderings of the name Egypt is iron furnace. You see, when you walk away from God and start walking back to the world, you are literally jumping out of the frying pan into the fire. And that's what Abram is doing here. He's leaving that place of blessing. He's in the right destination, even though it's a time of famine. 
and he runs down to Egypt, a picture of the world. I've seen this over and over again in 18 years of ministry. I've seen people come and go. They have that moment of crisis in their life. They think to themselves, well, I need to get back in church. I need to get a little God in my life. I need some religion in my life, right? And so all of a sudden, they come to church to try Jesus. I'm going to give God a try, all right? There's the problem. You don't try Jesus like, well, you know, I tried this and it didn't work, and I tried this and it didn't work, and I'm going to try God now and let's see if God works. Well, here's the deal. When your life doesn't get better immediately, you think somehow God's failed. And you know why? Because nowhere in Scripture are we ever told to try Jesus. What we're told to do is surrender to Jesus and surrender our life to Jesus. Because if you approach Jesus like he's some type of rabbit foot redeemer, a four-leaf clover that's going to make my life better, you know, it's a snowy, nasty day out there. A lot of people treat God like he's the tow truck driver. When I slide into a ditch and get stuck, I need somebody to come pull me out. And that's how we treat God. God, I've made a wreck out of my life. Come pull me out. What I'm trying to tell you is this. Those people come and go. And at some point along the way, you've got to decide, I'm going to stay in the place of blessing. I'm going to stay in the promised land of the believer, that place of obedience, where I'm going to live by faith no matter what I see. Because what happens, I watch people, you know, God didn't work for me. I tried Jesus and he failed me. So I'm going back to my world, back to what was before I tried Jesus. And that is why for some of us, the only thing consistent about our Christianity is consistent inconsistency. The yo-yo life spiritually. Well, that's Abram right now. He's going down to Egypt. He's jumping out of the frying pan into the fire. Now look at what happens next. Genesis 12, 11. And it came to pass when he was close to entering Egypt that he said to Syria, his wife, indeed, I know that you are a woman of beautiful countenance. Watch this. When you stop living by faith, you will live by fear. And the closer Abraham gets to Egypt, he's now controlled by fear instead of faith. Now, God's already said, I'm going to make you a great nation. And either God tells the truth or God is a liar. Abraham, do you really think God lied? Here he is fearing now for his life. Now, watch this. He's no longer living by faith. He's driven now out of fear. He looks at his wife and says, baby, you are a hottie. Honey, you are so foxy. And honestly, I'm afraid the Egyptians, they're going to kill me so they can marry you. All right, we don't know what it is about Syria. Apparently, she was a looker, okay? And uh, she's apparently, whatever she is, I mean, the, the Egyptians just fall head over heels for her. Now watch this. It says in verse 12, therefore, it will happen when the Egyptians see you that they will say, this is my wife, and they will kill me, but they will let you live. Please say, you are my sister, that it may be well with me for your sake, that I may live because of you, Abraham. What happened to our hero? What happened to, honey, I am your husband, I am your defender and protector, and I am willing to die for you, baby. Oh, no. Here's Abraham, one of the heroes of the faith. Hey, uh, honey, um, you know, you are really, really beautiful, and um, I I'm afraid the Egyptians, they're going to kill me to marry you, so hey, hey, let's just, just, just tell them you're my sister, okay? So they don't know we're married, right? 
I mean, watch this. This is absolutely amazing. So it was when Abram came into Egypt that the Egyptians saw the woman, that she was very beautiful. The princes of Pharaoh also saw her and commended her to Pharaoh. And the woman was taken to Pharaoh's house. He treated Abram well for her sake. And he had sheep and oxen and male donkeys and male and female servants and female donkeys and camels. Pharaoh is literally paying a dowry to marry Abram's wife. I mean, here's what's amazing. The Egyptians are paying Abram off so they can marry his sister. And what is absolutely amazing, watch this. Don't, don't miss what God is teaching. You can be blessed outwardly and materially even while you're out of that place of blessing. Some of us think, well, I haven't really lived for God and I haven't really surrendered and sold out to Jesus. And honestly, I got my promotion and you wouldn't understand. I got my dream position and I want you to understand. Jesus said, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world but loses his own soul? Yes, you may gain something personally and materially, temporarily, but you're going to be bankrupt eternally. And this is Abram, man. He is now out of the land of blessing, but appears temporarily. I'm being blessed. Yeah, they're paying him off for his wife. What is going on with Abram? Listen, his fear has caused him to fudge on the facts, but a half-truth is a whole lie. You see, here's the reality. Genesis 20 tells us that Syriah was his half-sister, and this was very commonly done in the ancient days, and Abraham was no different. He married his half-sister. And so he just told a half-lie. But listen carefully, a half-truth is a whole lie. He just fudged a little bit on the facts. And that's what happens when you get out of that place of blessing and you're no longer living obediently, not completely. You start fudging in just little areas of your life. A little compromise here, a little compromise here, gonna fudge a little here. And all of a sudden, you are somewhere you never dreamed you would be. You're back in Egypt completely in a place of captivity and slavery. See, we have to learn to trust God completely and obey God unconditionally. And that is what God is trying to teach us. Listen carefully. God God has for you a destiny. He has a plan for your life personally. But whether or not you ever live in the reality will depend completely on whether you can obey him unconditionally and trust him totally. Because most people can't, most people won't. I'm telling you. This is what it means to live out your Christian identity as a follower of Jesus. Most people will trust God right up to the point where it no longer makes sense. Most people will obey God right up to the point the cost is not too high. And then we start making little compromises in our life. Instead of walking toward God's destination, we walk toward Satan's. Understand there's always two agendas. There's another agenda going on here. God told Abraham, I'm gonna make you a great nation from you. I'm gonna bring forth the Savior King and through him all nations of the earth will be blessed. The blessings on the Gentiles have come through that Jewish Redeemer. But understand, Satan knew that too. What was Satan trying to do? Satan was trying to get Pharaoh 
to marry Syriai, knowing that it was through Syriai that one day Isaac would be born, and through Isaac one day there would be 12 sons that would become the 12 tribes of Israel, that would become the nation of Israel, and through that family tree, that Jewish genealogy, one day would come the Savior King who would die at Calvary, and Satan understood ahead of time what he had to do. I have to somehow disqualify Syriai from ever giving birth to that son. See, there's always two agendas. And when we fail to trust God completely and obey God unconditionally, we are saying yes to the devil's agenda and we're saying no to God's agenda. We're saying yes to this destination which always leads to ruin, it leads to addiction, it leads to a prison instead of that godly destination in this land that Jesus called the abundant life, that destiny God has written for you from the days of eternity. You know, not only that, we see over and over again, watch this, if you read the whole narrative here. Remember verse one, chapter 12, he told Abram what? He said, get out of your country, from your family, from your father's house. But you know what? He obeys only partially. You see his little nephew Lot hanging on to his coattails the whole time. You see, not only did he come back from Egypt with a little servant girl by the name of Hagar, an Egyptian servant girl, and because of that compromise in Egypt, watch this, years and years later, in another moment of fear instead of faith, when he has no child and his wife is barren, he will go in and he will commit a sexual sin with Hagar, and she will conceive a child by Abram by the name of Ishmael, and Ishmael would become the father of the modern-day Arabs, and 4,000 years later, the world is still reeling. You see, Abram is learning the high cost of compromise in Egypt when you choose to put one foot in the promised land and one foot in Egypt. Just fudge on the facts a little. Just, just, just balance kind of on the line between right and wrong. Dancing on the fringe. You got Lot, watch this. Get out of your country from your family and your father's house. But he doesn't do that with Lot. You see Lot all the way through the narrative hanging on to Abram's coattails. Now watch this. Instead of saying, Lot, I love you, son. You're my nephew, but I'm putting you on the first train back to Ur of the Chaldees. He doesn't do that. Because he doesn't do that, watch this. Genesis 19, right after God destroys Sodom and Gomorrah, Lot in a drunken stupor commits incest with his two daughters. And from that sinful sexual union with his daughters, two little boys are born, Moab and Ammon, that would father the Moabites and the Ammonites, and they would become the constant enemy and thorn in the side of Israel. You know why? Because years and years later, Abram obeyed God partially, but not completely. You see what God's trying to teach us? It was a few weeks ago that I received news had a dear friend, a pastor, man in the ministry, I'll just say somewhere in the state here of Missouri, it's all I'm gonna say, different city, pastoring a large church. We'd connected at a conference really quickly. Just one of those people you, you connect with and almost instantly God just brings a bond between you. It's just kind of the, the kinship you feel when you meet somebody for the first time, like man, we've known each other forever. We're building a friendship, a real friendship. A brother preacher, pastor, here's a man of vision. Uh, the man had passion 
we shared so much in common. I found out a few weeks ago he had resigned his church because of a moral failure because he'd had an affair. I'm telling you, I literally cried half the day. I sobbed. So sad. You know, and people say, well, you know, he was a fake. He was a phony. No, I'm telling you, he wasn't. He wasn't a fake. He wasn't a phony. I'm convinced I knew his heart. He had a sincere heart for God. He had a sincere desire to please God and to minister the word of God. He loved the people of God. There's no doubt in my mind. He started well. He didn't end well. God was sending him to this destination. He had a vision, but he ends in this destination. And people ask, how did it happen? Listen carefully. Nobody stumbles into sin. That's what we like to say. Well, he stumbled into sin. No, he didn't. Nobody stumbles into sin. You step into it. Just one step at a time. One little step here. One little compromise here. That's how it happens. What's true of his life is true of Abraham's life. It is true in all of our life. Every single one of us. Nobody wakes up one morning. He did not wake up one day and say to himself, you know, I've never committed the sin of adultery. Today's a good day to do that one. He didn't wake up one day and go, you know, today is a good day to have an affair and blow up my marriage and blow up my family and blow up my church and blow up my ministry. That is not how it happened. It happens one little compromise at a time, one little decision at a time. And with every little decision, it takes you closer and closer to that big decision where all of a sudden you're in Egypt, a different destination than you ever thought you would be. Listen carefully. We have to trust God completely. We have to learn to obey him unconditionally. Verse 17, but the Lord plagued Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Syria, Abram's wife. Listen, your sin never affects just you. I've heard people say, well, what I'm doing doesn't hurt anybody else but me. That is not true. It always affects others near you and around you. It says, and Pharaoh called Abram and said, what is this you've done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister? I might have taken her as my wife. Now, therefore, here is your wife. Take her and go your way. Get her out of here. <laughs> and all of a sudden, Abram turns around. It's exactly what God wants us to do when we realize, you know what? I'm in a different destination. I'm no longer in that land of blessing. I haven't been living obediently. And that's why I know I can't really live abundantly. What do you do? Verse 20, so Pharaoh commanded his men concerning him and they sent him away with his wife and all that he had. You see, when you find yourself in Egypt and there's moments in our life that we all will, what do you do? You repent of your sin and return to that place of blessing. That's what Abraham's now doing. He's getting out of Egypt. To repent means to turn around. That's all it is. Say, God, you are right and I have been wrong. And when you repent, you return. You see, it's 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Repentance restores us to fellowship with God and returns us to that promised land. That's all God wants for many of us, that we simply turn around and go back to that place of blessing. The land of blessing is when we're living obediently, completely. We're walking with him totally, not straddling the lines between the promised land and Egypt, listen carefully, verse 
1 of chapter 13, then Abram went up from Egypt, he and his wife and all that he had, and Lot with him to the south. They begin that slow camel ride home. And you can just imagine this was a silent road trip home. I mean, if you've been married before and you've been married very long, you've been on vacation somewhere and you're coming back from vacation and you kind of get in a tiff with your wife and all of a sudden you've driven miles and miles and miles and you haven't said a thing and it's just that long, silent road home. Oh, don't sit there like that's never happened to you. That's now Abram, the long, silent camel ride home. Back to the land of blessing, verse two, Abram was very rich in livestock, silver, and in gold, and he went on his journey from the south as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning. What do you do? You go back to the beginning. You go back where it all began, back to where you said yes to Jesus. Between Bethel and Ai, in the place of the altar which he had made there at first, and there Abram called on the name of the Lord. Do you know what else Abram hears here? He learns here, he learns about the amazing grace of a living, loving God. He goes back to the place he built the altar, Bethel before him, Ai behind him. Bethel means house of God, Ai means ruin. He goes back to that place he had been with Ai behind him and Bethel before him. He says, God, I am leaving behind the ruin of Egypt and I'm pressing on with you before me and my sin behind me. That is where God wants us to be on this wintry, cold Sunday morning. Let's pray together. Jesus, I pray for every person in this place that, Lord, none of us would live in the distraction, the diversion, the detour, Satan and sin. But, Lord, we would press on to walk in that land spiritually that flows with milk and honey, truly life abundantly. Somebody today would say, Phil, I find myself in Egypt. I know that's me. Listen, I have been there more than once in my life, and I want to help you take that beginning step back home, back to the promised land. Little compromises in your life have led you to places you never thought you would be. I want to pray with you in the quietness and privacy of this hour. If you just raise your hand, say, Phil, that's me. I'm in Egypt this morning. Just hold up your hand high for a moment. I want to pray with you. Just pray this quietly with me. Dear Jesus, I don't want to live in Egypt any longer. I don't want to straddle the line between the promised land and the world. I want to be completely in that place of blessing. I want to trust you completely and obey you unconditionally. Now Jesus, I repent and I return and help me to follow you now as I turn from my sin and I'm letting go of my junk so that I can have all of Jesus. Now help me to walk this out this week. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you give him glory with me? Praise him, would you?